Welcome to Post Status Draft, the official podcast for Post Status, a website with news and information for WordPress professionals. Today, Joe and I are doing Post Status Ask, where listeners ask us questions and we answer them. Today, we answer a few questions out of the gate and spend the second half of the show talking about how WordPress can innovate. If you'd like to have your question featured in a future episode, go to poststatus.com ask and ask us a question. If you enjoy this podcast, you can get a lot more quality news and analysis from the Post Status Club multiple times per week. Check out our current club members, site partners, and join the club on our website at poststatus.com club. You'll be joining more than 750 wonderful club members, and you'll never miss important WordPress news again. Today, I'd like to feature one of our partners, Pagely. Pagely helps the world's biggest brands scale and secure WordPress, and it's all built on the Amazon cloud. They're the original managed WordPress host. You can learn more about Pagely at pagely.com, and thanks to the team at Pagely for being a post status partner. Now, here's our show. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian, and I'm the editor of Post Status. And I'm Joe, a co-founder and the CTO of HumanMade, and welcome to the Post Status Draft Podcast. Uh, today, we're doing Post Status Ask, where listeners ask us questions, and we answer them on the air. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll do our best. I missed you, Joe. It's been a few weeks. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It's uh Yeah. You know you got upstaged while you were gone. Yeah. Well, obviously I've uh, not listened to any of them out of uh, a <laughs> silent protest. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They've been great. I'm feeling like uh, maybe, you know. Well, our last episode with Diane Kinney is our most listened to yet. Oof. Wow, that's uh thrown down the gauntlet there. Yeah, <laughs> at, at least hey, within the first week. I mean, in fairness, we haven't yet tested one where it's only me and somebody else, and not you. So it's that's a good it, point. It's that's possible point. that that need, would be the highest, and I'll presume that it would be still. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. People could be sick of me. <laughs> so we've done this once before. Uh, post status ask. So if people want to ask a question for a future episode, you can go to poststatus.com/ask, and you can. Ask us a question, and we will do our best to answer it on air. We've got, I think, six questions that we're going to try to get through today. And, yeah, might as well just get to it, huh? Uh, yeah. So, the first one is obviously a leading question that's self-promotional. Mm. Uh, Did you pay somebody <laughs> to ask this one? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. But it does make me laugh. I got this question from Adam Pickering, and he asked if I could... Offer more information on the upcoming Post Status Publish conference. Give some background about the event and what I hope people will get out of it. I'm glad he asked that. What a dandy question for you. It is. Uh, I'm also glad because he asked that even though he just bought a a ticket earlier today. Um, So obviously he trusts me enough to to buy a ticket and then ask me about (laughs) it. For people that don't know, Post Status Publish is a conference. It's a one-day conference on December 1st in Philadelphia. Uh, which happens to be the day before WordCamp US starts in the same city. Uh, and members of Post Status can go to this event. Um, for members, it's $149 a ticket. And I'm about to put some, uh, some speaker names on the website. I'm really excited about that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit different than a lot of the conferences that you've seen. I'll in give you... <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I certainly think in a good way. Yeah. I've been phrasing it in the sense of bringing the hallway track to the main stage. A lot of the people that are going to be attending this conference are post ass members. A lot of post ass members are the type of people that might be speaking at your typical WordPress conference. 
So we're trying to bring the conversations that they would have in a hallway track environment to the stage. So they'll be about WordPress, but they don't necessarily have to be exactly about WordPress. For instance, one of our talks, I'm going to have an investment banker that's familiar with mergers and acquisitions and specializes in the hosting industry. And I've actually got the CEO of a hosting company that's going to be interviewing the investment banker. Um, so is that, is that CEO of a company that might be sponsoring this episode? It is. <laughs> oh, good guess. So I, that's an example of a way that I thought would be fun to um, put this conference on. And each talk is going to be like that. I've got another one where an established agency <laughs> principal is going to be talking to a newer agency principal. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be having a conversation. It's not an interview. It's like if we're sitting in on their coffee shop talk. Okay. Um, you might be related to one of these agency principals. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think I understand. <laughs> I think I'm so, reading between the lines here. Yeah, so I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, so people can can sign up to go to that. Uh, it's called Post Status Publish. And it's a one-day event. How many people are you thinking are going to be there? Well, we have more spaces for the reception than we do for the main event. About half the tickets have been sold for the main event already. Mm, That's good. And the reception, we can fit close to 300 people because we're going to take out all the the theater seating away and it's going to be like, you know, stand up with tall tables and drinks and stuff. Mm -hmm. So people can come just to that if they like. A lot of people are flying in that day, so they might just be able to make that part. Mm. But if you go to postitis.com slash publish, you can get more information on it. And I'm really excited to see how it goes and see how how people like it. But I think it'll be fun. So thanks, Adam, for the leading question. I really appreciate that. I'm looking forward for the next uh, post-status endeavor that is a different post-status as we have draft (laughs) and published so far. Yeah, we're going to need some uh, custom post-status. I'm looking forward to pending. Yeah, I don't know what that one is going to be called. (laughs) I don't even know what all the other post statuses are. Mm. Is that bad? Inherit. Inherit. Appending. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Pri- I think private is a status. And future. Future's a cool one. Oh, yeah. Post-tasis. Oh, yeah. Future would be a good one. Good name. Good. Is that all of them? I think that's all of them. Yeah, not all those are even public. Published, pending, draft. This is yeah. draft. Yeah. Well, Our events publish. It's like the published one is the prime time one, obviously. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, let's go to question number two. Oh, actually, before we do that, you know, publish is one event, but a day of rest is another event where me and you are affiliated that people need to pay attention to. Uh, that is actually going to be in Boston on March 9th. So go to a day of rest.hm if you want to learn more about that. And we're going to have a whole episode on the status of the uh, – REST API coming up soon, probably next week. And we'll talk about the content versus management endpoints split that's happened. We've got, we had some questions about that for today, but considering it's um, kind of in that stage of the merge proposal that just went in, that uh, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't want to have a a non-complete episode. Yeah, it'll be much more interesting in a week, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So it'll be a a more interesting episode in a week and then a very interesting conference in a few months. Um, So go to dayrest.hm 
for more about that. And yeah, next week we should have an episode about that. About I'm actually, the, uh, I'm waiting and uh, I'm waiting for a few days because I'm speaking at a day of rest, but I haven't put in what my talk is yet, but it's kind of hanging in the balance on what happens on the Merge Professor <laughs> for the next few days. So, Okay. So our next co- question we got from two people. We got, we got it one time from Diane Kinney, who was my guest host last episode. And we got another question, uh, or the same question from Scott Terrell. Basically, the question was, how do you handle data changes or site syncing type of stuff between local and development and staging and live environments? I think mostly they're talking about database, but mm. to a degree, there's some file component, uh, file management stuff involved in this as well, where it's not perfect just with like Git management. Mm-hmm. For instance, like if you're updating a uh, staging site, I'll give an example of one that I run into sometimes. If I want to sync my staging site with my live content, I have kind of some staging-specific variables or staging-specific plugins that aren't on the live site. So I want to pull down everything new from the live site, but I want to maintain a lot of these custom staging site plugins and, and settings. But generally, is there like any user-friendly system for managing this stuff that you know of or how do you manage it? Let's talk about it. Yeah, I don't have anything user-facing that I know of. A big one for me is like if you pull down the production database into staging and you know there's that option which is discourage blogs from indexing my site, which you would presumably want to like enable on your staging site. But whenever you pull down your production content, then it gets overwritten with the production value, which is to, to have it indexed. So... There's and other settings like that, you know, maybe you want other plugins to have settings where like you're using a MailChimp API key for your, you know, staging setup or something like that. The best solution I have for those kind of things is just to codify them like in the WP config. So just like have a switch statement in there or in the plugin or whatever to, you know, be like, if this is the staging environment, use these keys. So they're actually encoded. It's defined that way, which is kind of, cheating the problem a little bit. So just like removing that stuff out of my database into the code base, which is something that can be better controlled per environment. For the data in the database, it's much more difficult. And I think is, you know, still an unsolved problem. Like I know there are plenty of people working on this solution of like, you know, uh, I think is it called MergeBot, the the recent one? Uh, Yeah, MergeBot's the coolest one that I know of. Merge I think uh, version press is trying to do something similar as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of un- unsure whether inherently trying to do that is a good idea. Like your database is can be seen as a few things. Like in WordPress, it's a little bit mixed because it's used for some configuration stuff because you have settings in your database as well. So. Broadly, I try and like remove as many settings into like you can override any setting in code by using the filters on settings. So you can be more deterministic by doing that. And then all of the actual content like posts and things like that, it, it kind of depends on your opinion of like where you think the separation should be. But there is, I think, a school of thought that like you shouldn't really even ever have to uh, copy down all of your production data because your local environment is kind of um, a, uh, you know, your, your laboratory, as it were, where everything is clean surfaces and you're like 
working on little pieces in isolation. The fact that there is like 100,000 posts in production because people have gone and written all of those isn't necessarily something that you should have like in your local environment. Now, that's like a very purist approach, I think, of that and like realistic. I, I agree in terms of the local environment, but there are times where I do actually want to get as close as possible to my live environment with the staging site. Um, right. So what, I, what I've done for that is I actually use WP Migrate DB Pro, which is uh, you can move pretty mu- you can move the database in pretty much any way you want and mm. do search and replace automatically or whatever. Um, when I'm testing my staging site, that's typically what I do. And essentially, I will mimic whatever I'm trying to de- deploy on the staging site. And then if it go- all goes well, I'll do the same on the live site separately. Um, but by syncing, um, not to, to plug Pagely too hard, but <laughs> you know, I, can do a, I can either do Pagely sync and they can sync one app directly to another mm-hmm. through the command line. Or from a from the user interface, I can um, sync just the database mm-hmm. uh, between with WP, WP Migrate DB Pro. What I like about what MergeBot's going to try to do is it helps you go the other direction, mm-hmm. and yep. essentially the type of stuff that you would otherwise have to script, it allows you to do more like you what might do a macro if people are familiar with macros and spreadsheets, and it's almost like it can you, it can kind of record your your actions and it mm-hmm. records how those are affect the database and you can kind of start and stop and it will take just those actions, just those things you changed and you can repeat them in another place. Right. Um, I think that'll be very clever. Uh, hopefully it work really well, but I do agree with you on the local side of things. Your local site doesn't have to be a perfect mirror image of your live site. Um, you may want it to be early on, but it's okay for them to kind of grow apart. Um, yeah, I think the the staging like I I like for stuff that we do then yeah it's the same like your staging environment you know usually for us looks something like periodically it's copied from production and then when something is pushed to staging for final testing you're going to create a bunch of test content on staging potentially to make sure everything is going to function how it does then you push it live and then because there's no solution to this problem yet you go and create that stuff in production again. Um, and then maybe a week later, you copy down everything in production and wipe out your staging database. Um, so that works as long as you're only storing content in your database. Whereas like, I think where this gets quite tricky is where you're storing uh, things that aren't content or you have things like absolute URLs. So one thing that really annoys me about WordPress is how much absolute URLs are stored all over the place in things like links and image sources and things like that. Um, like longer term, I'd really like WordPress to only have like a single reference to its site URL in the options table or something. I think uh, that would be better for everybody in the longer run. Um, but it's not quite there yet, so that search and replace step is is required. But um, I think like the, the the more stuff you can remove from your database, put it into code, the better. Just because it's a lot easier easier to reason about. Like code is meant to be. Uh, diffed and merge and things like that. That's I, I understand that Mergebot is going to try and do that with databases. That's not what um, MySQL was ever created for in the first place. It is kind of inherently stateful, um, whereas codifying your uh, options and things like that um, allows that to be a lot more 
um, defined so it can kind of like have less edge cases around that. Um, but another fun one is um, sometimes you can do something in your code base that is a little more generic. Um, the thing that I have on my mind is recently I was making references in my code to a specific product. Um, and if I have to rely only on the ID, then that can mm. be troublesome because the ID between testing on dev or staging or whatever could be different from the live site. Um, so you have to think about that. And so in my case, instead of the product ID, I relied on the stock keeping unit, the SKU. Um, so that's how I referenced a product within the code itself. Um, mm. And it allowed me to just deploy the files and not have to worry about, you know, goofiness right. between, between databases. Um, sometimes it's little things like that. As far as tools, though, MergeBot and VersionPress are probably your two best bets right now. Uh, MergeBot isn't launched yet, but they are doing. They have some alpha testers right now. VersionPress is live, but it's uh, iterating pretty quickly, and I think the barrier to entry on VersionPress might be a little higher than mm -hmm. what MergeBot's aiming for. And I know those two companies are working together too. So, um, like to try to figure out how they can solve problems like they're not looking at this like it's super competitive they're yeah no it's, it seems like market. uh yeah they had pretty good attitude i think when mergebot announced and version press was uh, very kind of open and like yeah um happy to talk through the problems and try and solve them together i guess yeah um so that's what i would recommend it's not <laughs> that wasn't the most exciting answer i guess <laughs> uh but you know there's not we don't there, there's not a great solution there yet I guess is the, the point, which is unfortunate. I wish I had something better. Um, our next question is about the theme review process. Um, there's for, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> Seems like 10 years. Maybe it has been 10 years. Uh, there's been a lot of critique or concern from theme authors about just how difficult the theme review process can be. Uh, this is for submitting a free theme to the WordPress.org theme directory. Um, at various times, uh, that process can take many months. Right now, I think the queue is like five months long. And we had a question that was, it was actually specific to a little bit of WP Drama because a GoDaddy theme was uh, reviewed quite quickly. Um skipped the process a little bit but more importantly the question was just about the theme review process in general um in the godaddy instance it was a theme that was deploying to uh some hundreds of thousands of godaddy wordpress websites and if it wasn't approved then it was gonna really create a poor user experience on the world's largest wordpress host so I think it was just a little bit of an exception in that case. And they also had a dozen child themes that were going to rely on it. Um, but in terms of the theme review process in general, I think the there's several things that you can do. Um, there's a theme check plugin that, because what you want to do is you want to make sure that once your theme goes under review, that it doesn't have to go under re-review very much. Um, the theme check plugin can help you solve a lot of those problems. Um, it basically identifies functions that you may be using that are deprecated or, you know, not, not allowed or whatever, um, does a lot of automatic checks for you. 
You can also do um, some theme unit tests. There's theme unit test data, actually recently acquired, mm. wptest.io, um, which is uh, basically a way to import data that tries its best to break your theme. So like really long comments or really long titles or putting 18 widgets in your sidebar or having 37 items in the menu. All these things that uh, a theme, unfortunately, in the WordPress theme directory, it needs to at least uh, be graceful in how it and how it handles that. Um, so you want to look out for those easy wins. Um, but also you want to be sure you, you pay attention to the broader guidelines like not putting major functionality in the theme and keeping it as a presentation layer that's important for .org. Um, there's, a uh, there's a handbook for how to do this, and that's basically all there is to it. Um, and, you know, the theme review guidelines are much different than plugin review. Um, plugins are much more laissez-faire, um, whereas themes are pretty strict in terms of what's allowed and how it works and everything. So... Uh, it's a significant code review process when you go through theme review, so it naturally takes longer, whereas you can get a, pl a plug-in reviewed usually in just a few days because mm. um, they just look for, you know, massively visible vulnerabilities, and um, that's all there really is to it. But with themes, it's a bit different. Have you ever submitted a theme to re be reviewed? Uh, no, I haven't. I've reviewed other themes, um, so but not a huge amount. Um, I would say, um, as a reviewer, then, uh, the, the, I, I guess like there's two sizes, like the code base and then it's like, what is your theme actually trying to do? And if your theme is trying to do something like you were saying, it includes functionality that really shouldn't be in a theme, then you're going to like, there's fundamental problems with the theme that you're trying to submit there. And that's not going to be fun for you to be kind of trying to argue all the time why you think that your theme should be allowed in with this functionality. Um, but on the code side, I would say uh, the easier you can make it for people to review there, the better, which means clean code as possible with comments and things like that. Uh, that's only going to kind of help you. Um, I've definitely reviewed themes that are complete spaghetti and the amount of time that takes um, is orders of magnitude more than um, kind of cleanly well-documented code. So uh, in terms of things that you can do, then um, try and make your code be similar to, um, you know, the quality of the um, WordPress default themes, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, so our next question is from David Bissett. David is a contractor for Post Status and a friend. Um, David helps me curate footnotes, which is the bottom of the newsletter links and stuff to, to blog posts that are out there. Uh, David found a, uh, a link to a tweet where the maker of a plugin is shutting down the plugin because after six years of work making a free plugin, they've only gotten six donations. Um, and the author said that they see that people don't appreciate the plugin, so they're shutting it down. Um, David said, you know, how do you charge or ask for donations when it comes to plugins? Uh, and how do you handle that? Yeah, I, this is an interesting topic, I think. Um, the the link tweet, I think, had slightly the wrong attitude. Like, people still appreciate a plugin, but donating 
I think is kind of known to be a very bad model at this point to try and actually um, make make you know you contributing to a plugin financially sustainable. Um, It'll never be a viable business in that regard. No, but even even enough to you know. I, I guess even if you're not trying to make multiple millions of, of dollars, um, <laughs> yeah. then like even just like, you know, surviving at all, you know, even if you No, wanna... you should you should consider it a success if you get like a beer a month. <laughs> you're right. So I, I don't think donating is a good model. I think there are the, the way that I would go probably, I mean, it depends what kind of plugin you have as well. But there are plenty of people that are um, making money uh, you know, big companies that, that use WordPress. If, if you can find the people to support you developing a plugin, then them paying, you know, $10,000 or something is very little for them for the value they may be getting. The problem with donations is it's usually like a user-focused thing where people are used to, you know, free apps in the app store. Um, so that's why it's kind of like pulling teeth trying to get donations there. So I, I think like there is often a disconnect with who, who you're trying to, uh, target to essentially get money from for the work that you're doing. Depends what kind of plugin you have, though, because a lot of the stuff that I work on is kind of stuff that would fit quite ra- well with, like, enterprise type stuff. So maybe it's a little easier for me with my plugins. It, it would be a little easier for me to see how I could do that. But even yours, it wouldn't be as much about getting unsolicited donations as it would be about getting an organization to fund free plugin development. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, the angle that that I see working really because um, there only needs to be one large media organization that use your plugin for a relatively small thing that you know just because of the uh, sizes at play, then saving somebody ten minutes of their work every day they have to do in the WordPress admin is worth the organization you know thousands of dollars a month or whatever. Um, whereas if you're trying to uh, get donations directly off of users that are building themselves a free site, then then it's just not going to happen as as far as I can see it. Um, so, kind of if if your goal is to just support yourself by you know I want to work on open source stuff, but I can't justify doing that, then I think like a patronage from um, you know people that are really getting financial value out of it is the best way to go there. Uh, rather than being kind of upset that people aren't donating to you and it, and it being more of a, um, you know, hoping to get a, a dollar from every person that has installed your plugin, I think a, a better strategy is to have 99% have it completely free and then the 1% that are, like, getting a lot of financial value out of that then just have them support you. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a better model. And, you know, there are several examples of people that have done this well um, either from a patronage model or switching from going from something like this where, you know, someone just sweats it out, makes a popular plug-in, but doesn't really make money off of it, and then it converts. Uh, a good one that I can think of is uh, iTheme Security. Mm-hmm. Started out as uh, a, a free security plug-in, and iThemes actually hire the developer that was making that plug-in, better WP security, and they turned it into a commercial upsell product. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, it never had uh, never had a commercial version. And 
it's not, people weren't donating to it and stuff. So uh, in that situation, it was converting from that uh, that model to a, a, an upsell model. And that's one way to go about it. You know, you just put in years of sweat making a free plugin beloved and then turn it into something that can be monetized. Um, alternatively, you can do something like the patronage model. Uh, Boone did a really good post from 2012 on the patronage model that I'll link up. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, basically, if you just are looking for donations, it's never going to sustain. Uh, yeah, I, there I, are, I, I don't think open source has ever really managed to crack that with with donations. Like, even now, it's a difficult problem. There's a huge amount of open source software out there, and there's a huge amount of companies making, you know, uh, a lot of money worth a lot of money. They just build on open source software, and still, a lot of that. Um, that that value in money doesn't trickle down at all to all of the open source developers. So I think this is like generally a pretty big problem, but over the past few months, and I've definitely been reading more of like uh, trying, you know, trying really just to find the right people who can support you, who it is worth them. If you're going to be like, I just don't have time to develop this plugin anymore. Um, you know, in, unless somebody supports me, then I think, uh, for, for the few people that are getting uh, substantial financial value out of it, then they should kind of be able to work out that, it, that it's good to support you to do that. Yeah. Um, one other model that's worth mentioning is you can, if it's ahead of time, if it's not been developed yet, then you can uh, have a campaign-style model where you say, if you donate, then I'll make this. Mm-hmm. Um but if you try to make it and then ask for donations, people will be like, well, you already made it. <laughs> so yeah, you don't need true. my money. It's, it's um, a lot more difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if you, if, you, um, if you ask for the money ahead of time and you're a trusted developer, then maybe you can make that work um, through a, a crowdfunding campaign or something like that. Even still, that's not my preference because mm. all, in all likelihood – even if you do that that model, uh, it'll probably be much harder for you than you anticipate. You probably won't get as much money as you actually needed. Um, even if you hit your goal, your goal probably wasn't high enough because <laughs> those projects tend to end up being harder than you think. Um, actually, uh, Daniel Bachhuber did a really good guest post on Post Status about uh, what to look out for if you do crowdfunding and. Uh, Daniel is pretty uniquely qualified uh, to do a crowdfunding campaign because he's really good at putting his head down and writing code, um, but that it's a really difficult thing to do. So, um, yeah, I'd encourage you to maybe read his post about using Kickstarter or other crowdfunding, whatever, to to fund open source. But um, it's it's a tough question. Um, okay, so let's take a quick break because we do want to thank our sponsor now. Uh, so one, every uh, every episode of Post Status, we'd like to feature one of our partners. Uh, and this week, that partner is Pagely. Pagely is the original managed WordPress host. Uh, they're my host for Post Status, and they're also our primary sponsor for Post Status Published. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. Um they are, are supporting everything post status all the way, and they're a great partner. Um, Pagely is the original managed host, 
Man, they recently wrote a blog post about managed WordPress hosting being seven years old, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was a lot. Uh, I'm also supporting them by wearing their T-shirt. It's the only... It's, it's the only hosting it's, T-shirt you it's wear? It's the only WordPress, you know, sponsored T-shirt that, uh, that I ever wear. So, uh, you know. They, they, they make a soft T-shirt. Um, if you come to publish, you might get one. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, so Pagely is just one of those hosts that, uh, they, they just do things that work. Um, they're not a huge company. They, uh, but they host a lot of big companies on their platform. They're, they do enterprise WordPress hosting. It's all built on the Amazon cloud. Um, and it's pretty legit. So check out Pagely. Um, lots of your favorite WordPress products host their websites that they sell their products using Pagely. They can do e-commerce, they can do publishing, they can do all sorts of stuff. They're really good. Uh, you can get started for around 100 bucks a month. Um, if you do their big VPSs, those start at like $500 a month for 30 websites. Uh, it's upscale WordPress hosting, but it's really, really good. And you should check it out. Go to Pagely.com. Thank you to Pagely for being a PostAS partner. All right. Uh, so... Speaking of Daniel Bachhuber, we might as well dive into his question. Another maybe leading question, <laughs> um, but we will shorten it. Basically, he asked, how can the WordPress project innovate? Um, he mm. said, we have a lot of major technical initiatives, but they're having challenges with execution. And how do we, how do we overcome this? Um, so I guess for starters, maybe, Joe, you can describe why um, big new projects are difficult with WordPress um, compared to if you were just totally coding something greenfield. Yeah, so from, I guess Daniel's coming at this from the like improving the WordPress internals in the technology. Um, so I think that has its set of challenges and then also WordPress innovating as a platform in terms of like its feature set is kind of another set of problems as well. Um, the technology, like, you know, in, there, there are a vast amount of WordPress. I think anybody that, um, uh, you know, is pretty well aware of the WordPress internals know there's a large, uh, large amount of code there, a lot of which really could do with um, improvements around to make it more, uh, maintainable and um, kind of less error prone and things like that. Uh, the the kind of primary challenge with doing that is is WordPress's commitment to backwards compatibility makes it very difficult to make you know large sweeping changes in the code base because uh, every you know often unintended consequences of the code base as it is right now with allowing you to uh, I don't know have. Uh, custom comment statuses, which isn't an API that it ever created for. It was just kind of the way it was coded kind of allowed people to do that. Um, so now when you want to change, you know, swaths of code to do that, you need to work out what were people even able to do with this because that's got to carry on working. WordPress has such a strong commitment to backwards compatibility. Uh, so it's really difficult for any large refactors to happen because of that. So that in, you know, trying to go with... Um, a more object-oriented approach to the you know design of the code base is you know virtually a non-starter in terms of like you're never going to turn WordPress's code base into something that looks like Symphony or Drupal. 
uh, with, without breaking that compatibility. So WordPress, I think because of its commitment to backwards compatibility, is like always going to be somewhat similar to WordPress. And I just hope that we can like, you know, improve all those little bits, but the overall architecture is never going to be able to change there. And there, there's like some decisions that were taken a long time ago, but that's just kind of how it is. And we're kind of baked into that now. Um, the kind of more interesting question to me is how does WordPress innovate uh, on the user side for the feature side, you know, with other platforms? That's kind of the bigger problem I see because really being able to change the internals of code base like makes yeah, it a little bit developers. Yeah, it, like it, it's nice for developers and it's good to maintain the software, but that doesn't make the project stay around long term and it doesn't you know, reach more people and allow more people to use WordPress doesn't make the user experience of WordPress really any better. Um, and the, the kind of challenges that go with trying to make WordPress do something different now in, from a user perspective is I think it's kind of like right now I would put, uh, it, it feels like WordPress is almost paralyzed to make any substantial decision in any regard because it's uh, a large project that has a lot of different use cases. And it's kind of like, which way do you turn when uh, you're already kind of so fast in, in uh, the use cases that people are already using it for? So when a new platform comes up that is doing something really nice, uh, I, I don't really understand right now how WordPress is going to be able to innovate to combat something like that. WordPress seems to be that it kind of does what it does, and we all kind of know WordPress, but I can't see how it's going to change drastically and innovate on that, even with something like uh, a different paradigm to the admin interface or something like that. I am not really incredibly confident right now, anyway, that the WordPress project is willing to take any risks to uh, you know change its offering for what a user sees it and to really make it a compelling product, like. Even in 2016, I think WordPress isn't a very, very compelling product, right? WordPress is really a product of 10 years ago. Um, so in the next five or 10 years, with new products that are coming up now, new projects, um, with, without WordPress being willing to kind of make some uh, risky innovations, because that's really, I, I think, you know, what innovation comes down to is like having a strong vision and believing in that and taking a punt on it. I don't see WordPress doing that with the current uh, leadership and things like that. So um, that's that's probably like a summary of how I feel about what the issues are that allows WordPress. What's, what's an example of the type of feature that might require a, a risky move? Is You mean like content blocks or a whole new outlook on the admin or what? Yeah, so content blocks is probably a good example. I think content blocks is... Um, something that needs a strong opinion on how that should work. And uh, there are trade-offs that you have to choose if you want to do uh, something like content for, for listen For listeners, real quick, uh, content the concept of content blocks is basically a module builder to replace the content. So like right now, you just write in the content area and you can only put stuff in that content area. This would be like you add modules with a plus button and, you know, based on different media types or whatever. And it could be text, it could be galleries, it could be images, it could be custom stuff, who knows what. But basically some architectural design system for 
crafting pages that's different than just the content. Right. So I like what one thing I see like WordPress is quite good at is anything, any change that just like requires a few people to be like, yeah, this seems like a good idea and we'll add that and we're not really taking anything away and we're just like improving a little part of, of WordPress. Something like overhauling how page content is structured or the way that that is built is to me something, like I was saying, that, that requires like specific direction on a list of things that you want to achieve and a list of trade-offs because really, you know, when, when you want to make a very compelling experience, I think like you have to work out what are your trade-offs here. I don't see WordPress being in a position uh, to want to make, you know, substantial trade-offs to make something very nice. It's almost, I'm kind of thinking of it like the, the further you want to push out far ahead and make something very interesting and innovative like other people are doing, the more you've got to kind of narrow your scope of like who can use that and what is it used for almost. Um, and because WordPress, I would say now, is it such a position of inertia with the size that it has got to, then unless uh, Matt or somebody else that stepped into leadership of the project really had a strong vision for what that could be, then I think we're probably all just going to be kind of like uh, sitting around for the next five years or like, you know, release on release, tweaking what is WordPress. But WordPress really, in what it is to a user, would essentially be done in that regard. If release to release, we're going to like, you know, add these tiny little things incrementally, then um, I don't think we can ever hope for a WordPress to drastically change, which it doesn't need to. I'm quite happy with WordPress being a kind of done thing as it is right now. When um, you say WordPress to the end user, do you mostly mean WordPress to a general consumer or do you mean to say a user within an enterprise or something? I guess I'm kind of thinking of both just in like the, the person that is using WordPress. I don't, so for me, like I'm somebody who used WordPress in that like when I want to build a site, I'll take WordPress and I'll do that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking for somebody that wants to make a website. Uh, right now they have, you know, few options. One is they can use WordPress. One is they can use Squarespace. Maybe they can use Wix. Maybe they can, you know, I think mm -hmm. they, they could use some of the other open source CMSs, but realistically, WordPress is just kind of killing that um, right now compared to all of the other ones. Um, and you kind of have a choice of, of, of what you're going to go with. Um, and I don't see WordPress currently, you know, with, with not really wanting to make any changes, then you're just kind of like the sitting whale waiting for other competition to come up and do something more interesting. So Ghost tried to do that for blogs, for example. Um, I'm not really sure if the numbers are there ready to support that people just wanting to run a blog or kind of going with Ghost over WordPress. I'm not really sure on that. Uh, but for a lot of the people uh, that, that are site builders and things like that are constantly, I think, evaluating different platforms. And when a new one comes up on, a block, on the block, if you're not like heavily invested in WordPress, you're always going to be looking at those new ones and understanding like, oh, well, this one's really great because like it comes with this other thing out of the box. Uh, that, that WordPress doesn't have. And, when, and once like, there is enough of those things, so like collaborative editing, let's say somebody completely cracks that in a CMS or something, I really don't see WordPress being able to adapt to that because there is no uh, strong vision to really take WordPress in any position. That's why I'm kind of skeptical that WordPress will get to you know, 50, 80% of the web um, if it's not really going to change from what it is now, all I can see is that number declining 
uh, as other uh, open source CMSs come up that are that are more so, interesting. So it's not that you think WordPress is incapable of doing these things. It's that you think it requires difficult decisions and significant amounts of product leadership. Yeah, that that would summarize what I'm saying, really. And I'm not sure even if that makes sense for WordPress, right? Like maybe we don't gamble what WordPress has. Maybe like it has so many pe- people using exactly what it does now. Like it's really quite, quite big. I mean, you know, the 25% number is a little sketchy just because of the, the long tail. Um, and I think that could move quite quickly. But I don't know, you know, from my perspective of like somebody that wants to build cool software and have like build really nice user experiences thing, and things like that. Does it make sense to try and make WordPress be that thing forevermore? Or does it make sense to be like, okay, well, there's like these, these nice new paradigms now around like how editing should work and how uh, those experiences can be, how quick we can make things now with uh, native experience and stuff like that. Maybe uh, the, the answer for people that want to want WordPress to innovate in those ways should you know contribute to another project whose value is to set out to implement that. I don't really know whether it it is possible for something the size of WordPress to actually change in those ways, you know, uh, for, to, for that to be a good thing. Sorry, I'm sure it, I'm sure it could do if it wanted. It's just maybe the the reason why uh, Matt is kind of happy with with WordPress being what it is, and you know, for, for some time, um, is that that's just kind of like what he sees WordPress, and it's like, well, we don't really need to change anything. Um, I kind of well, I I don't think. I don't think that he thinks we don't need to change anything. Um, I just don't know. I don't know how I would phrase it. You know, I don't think it's, I, I don't think though, I think he's probably one of the bigger critics of WordPress. Um, I mean, you can see that in their own product when you, when you look at the changes they're making on WordPress.com and how that compares to WordPress itself. Mm. Um, I think if we how, look at... How do you square that hole to say that with automatic, Matt is, I think, you know, for a, for a lot of the areas, I would say taking WordPress and really doing with it a lot of uh, similar values I have for it, right? So they are going quite API driven. They're using a lot of React. They're getting like custom admin interface to like experiment with that. Um, how come that leadership that he has at automatic, do you think, you know, uh, isn't, I would say, um, I'm trying not to be unfair, like I, I just don't think that same level of vision is being applied to the WordPress project. Uh, maybe I'm being unfair there. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think he, I think it's, you're naturally going to be more conservative. I think I, if I was, if either of us were in that situation, I think you'd be more conservative with distributed software mm-hmm. um, than you are in a situation like WordPress.com where you can roll back anything that you do very easily um and there's a lot of uh snowball effect there because as you iterate and as you test and as you get data on what your users are doing you can uh, adjust the product design and the the goals of what you're trying to accomplish um and i think that plays a big part in it and not all of those things are going to just be the type of features that you directly put back to WordPress core. And a lot of that we wouldn't want to. I mean, the people that are using WordPress core as a uh, 
as a content management system, they wouldn't like a lot of the things that WordPress.com has done to make it a better blogging system or, you know, like whatever people on WordPress.com yeah, so, are using I mean, it as. I, I definitely don't mean in specifics of the features, I guess. Um, but I do, I, I, I do agree. Like, I'm not they, really sure what WordPress is trying to do. I mean, nobody is really sure of that. I think that would be fair to say. Nobody, yeah. like, there, there is no uh, goal for the project. There's no roadmap or anything like that. Um, and, it, so, and whether you agree with it or not, it's kind of by design that there's not a WordPress roadmap. Um, that's been fairly, fairly clearly stated before. There's philosophies, but um, for the most part, it's based on this system of... Uh, you know, people showing up and having an idea and doing it and implementing it and going through the slow slog of getting something in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think over time it's getting harder and harder Mm. to get big things in. Um, But that, that that isn't necessarily a problem because the bigger WordPress gets, then the more it's, it's maybe fair to say the more resistance there should be to change uh, the, the, the more people are using it. Like I'm sure the first two years or even year of WordPress existing, right? There, there must have been you know, <laughs> yeah. a, a, a larger amount of um, change there. I think if you look at the past, um, you know, eight releases of WordPress, uh, it, it's like there's lots of valuable stuff there, but um, I, d- I don't think there's been much um, revolution there, really. it's It's been very kind of piecemeal, which is is totally fine. I guess maybe it would be good uh, to, um, to, to kind of understand exactly what Matt's vision is. And the reason I keep coming back to Matt is not only is he like a big stakeholder, but he's kind of like the, uh, he, he is the officially appointed lead person or not appointed, self-appointed. He's, he's got the gavel, basically. Right. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of interested in uh, exactly how he actually sees, you know, WordPress, like what it being. And uh, for, for one reason or another, even now, after, you know, seven or eight years in WordPress, I still didn't really feel like I, I completely have a handle on that. Um, yeah, I think that by WordPress 3.0-ish, um, once you include custom post types or, you know, custom, you have custom content types, Things like widgets had been introduced a few releases before that. Themes, themes, um, proper plug-in workflows, all those things have been enacted 3.0 and before. And you kind of hit this point to where, okay, well, this is the structure of a website, the structure of a content management system. So we've, we've kind of established the basic principles of a content management system, of a fully featured one, not, you know, we've made the transition from blog to content management mm-hmm. system. And that established a lot of the architecture that will then drive WordPress through the next 20 releases or more. Um, and we are in that, obviously. We're in 4.7. So it's been, what, 17, 17 releases since 3.0 when those last big architectural decisions were made. And there's tons of stuff that's gone on since then, but all of those have been very iterative changes. So going and saying, well, let's rethink this entirely is always a, a, a difficult challenge. Um and the ones that have found some level of success, I think, are 
oftentimes where you can kind of do it in its own little silo without messing with everything else. Um, I think that's why the customizers managed to mm-hmm. um, do so much because, you know, it's in the context of the customizer. It's not in the context of the admin. And slowly things might move from the admin to the customizer as they become, as the customizer becomes a better place for that type of management. So like uh, managing widgets and managing menus, um, those are pretty definitively better experiences in the customizer. Um, yeah, the, I mean, I think, the, the customizer is an interesting example because I feel like um, a lot of what I said doesn't necessarily apply there. So there, there's, uh, it, it almost doesn't make sense, right, in the framework of, of what I was saying. Um, so I, I think the customizer is a very interesting example of somewhere where it like WordPress is managing to change for what the user is using there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, we, I can see the customizer going a lot further and, and, you know, I, I think, you know, this crops up every now and then is like, how far can we take the customizer? Can we kind of like crush the whole admin in there kind of thing? Um, and, and other extremes. Um, so like that, that is somewhere where I think, uh, WordPress is innovating. It's like, um, and I, I, the, it seems to me the way that it's been able to do that is fairly like just under the radar. It was, you know, the first iteration was committed to call some time ago and now uh, just like an improvement to an existing feature. And every time we add something else to the customizer, then uh, it's kind of not difficult. Um, the question, you know, becomes like, if you had something like the customizer now, how would you get that into WordPress call? Well, I'm not totally convinced that that would be able to happen. But from a strategic point of view, if you want to have change in WordPress, I think it would be fair to say that once something is in, then you can keep iterating on it then. Uh, but, but actually getting it through the door is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a hard question to answer, though. Um, I do think WordPress can still innovate. I think innovation is going to be slower for WordPress. It's not going to move as fast as younger projects. Um, its philosophies also prevent it from moving as fast as some other projects. I know a lot of people in our space are really into Laravel right now. Mm. And Laravel's got a lot of things about it that are, you know, I'm pretty jealous of. Mm. Um, but even Laravel as a young project, if you go version to version, there's backwards compatibility issues and it requires developers and people that really know what they're doing to get through those. And I think sometimes we take for granted that WordPress has the philosophies that it does. Um, and we treat them as a bad thing when they can sometimes be a really good thing. Yeah, because... I mean, I'm, I'm sure they are. But how much of... I, I think a lot of the questions of like, is WordPress a successful project because it was just in the right place at the right time? Or is it because of this set of philosophies is just like, it works better in the long run to have this commitment to backwards compatibility that you will always therefore become the dominant platform, even with all of these quick startups, like, you know, new projects starting up around you with like the new cool thing of the day, but those don't ever catch on because they don't have the same philosophy there. And we haven't run the WordPress experiment twice, so I, I don't exactly know which one of those it is. I just see, um, you know, the the rate of of technology and the improvements is is typically, I think, increasing uh, over time. So therefore, um, it's as as I kind of see it right now, it's only a matter of time before 
there is enough uh, compelling new kind of features and paradigms to put in some other CMS that can outperform WordPress. So everybody is switching in droves to it. Like when people start switching from a piece of software, like it happens incredibly quickly, especially in this kind of industry, web development and stuff like that. So I'm very wary of that happening at some point. And um, may- maybe WordPress needs to be threatened a little bit there to see if it can actually kind of respond to, to any of those. Shock it things. into something. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of... I don't know. It's I certainly think there are I certainly think there are definitive moments for content management systems. Um, I also think, and you made me you, you made me think about a book, and I've never read this book, but the title of it I think is pretty self explanatory. It's called "What Got You Here Won't Get You There," mm-hmm. um, and I think that's going to be true for WordPress because what got WordPress to the point that it is was being far simpler to create a blog and then create a website and then um, customize a website compared to the competition. Mm. Tr- up against those same barriers, it's not playing in the same ballgame anymore. Right. It used to be easier than movable type or it was more free, you know, it was, it was more enabling than movable type or Drupal or Joomla. But it's not competing against those anymore. It's competing against uh, Twitter and Facebook and Medium and Wix and Squarespace. And it has to be, it has to adjust. We have to adjust our way of thinking. The famous five minute install is not exactly a compelling argument for why WordPress is awesome compared to um, what the compelling nature of that argument used to have. Um, and we're just in a, a little bit of a different world. And we, I think the things that we create, they do c- require product direction. Um, two questions that I asked Matt at WordCamp Europe are coming to mind to me in this conversation. Yeah, I seem to remember you drilled this one pr- home pretty hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of them um, was this notion of WordPress being a teenager and it has to be deci- it has to decide what, what it wants to be when it grows up. Um but we talked about that concept a little bit. But then one of the things I asked him was whether WordPress needed a product manager. Um, and I was kind of differentiating between the role that Matt, as the project lead, who's stretched very thin between all the things that he does, and the lead developers who certainly steer the ship in terms of um, doing things in a smart way from a code perspective and uh, feature perspective. But there's not a person or there's not even a group of people that are really there to um, say, this is the vision of WordPress. Let's implement this vision and let's be empowered to implement this vision the way a product manager would be. Um, and I think, I, I wonder, and Matt said he doesn't think this is necessary, but I wonder if a product manager would be quite effective with WordPress. Even if it, maybe it's one of the lead developers, maybe it's multiple lead developers that have some sort of you know, product vision gavel, uh, mm-hmm. similar to the way Matt holds it. But um, I don't know. You know, it's just it, it's it's a challenge. Yeah, certainly. There's I I don't think uh, you know there's an but easy I, way. There's, there's no like quick thing to fix, or even quick thing that we know there is to fix. So it's uh, yeah. But I certainly ag- agree. Um, 
you know, WordPress does need to innovate if market share is the primary goal. If moving forward and not basically going into some kind of maintenance mode is the goal, um, then WordPress needs to innovate. I've always, for I don't well, not always, but for multiple years now, I've uh, consistently said that to me that means making WordPress simultaneously uh, considerably simpler to use and more powerful at the same time. Mm. Um, that's an incredibly different, difficult challenge. Um, but I think accomplishing that and enabling projects within the WordPress ecosystem that will help accomplish that are what's going to help WordPress get to that next level, whatever we decide that should be 50% of market share or the right tool to be an application platform or whatever WordPress is going to be. Um, to me, no matter what, it has to be equipped to be both more powerful and simpler to use at the same time. And that's, that's a difficult challenge. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, um, yeah. yeah. With the REST API, we've been on the, you know, I, I think a lot of these questions do kind of come into play. Yeah. That's probably why Daniel asked it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think Daniel's really known for subtlety. Um, <laughs> So thank you, Daniel, for the thought-provoking question that we were able to spend the second half of the show on. And yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much it for, for this week. We will do a full episode on the REST API probably in the next episode, um, but if not, uh, certainly certainly soon. Um, yep. Yeah, so Joe, where can people find you and all that good stuff? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, Joe underscore Hoyle. You got any more good tweets these days? Um, oh, yeah. You know, I did have a pretty good tweet the other day. Um, it's, you know what I find funny about Twitter is the... It's not like I have a huge amount of Twitter followers or engagement. But it's always the tweets that you don't think that are the ones that actually get picked up and retweeted and things like that. So I, uh-huh. the latest one was um, I have a sublime... Uh, no, not sublime. An Atom, uh, like Atom editor plugin that does autocomplete for WordPress hooks. Yeah. Um, and that so that that one did pretty well. So I guess people like that. So if you use Atom, install nice. WordPress autocomplete hooks or something like that. Yep. Yep. I put that one in the newsletter. Oh, oh I see it now. Look at that. Thirty favorites and twenty-two. Yeah. No. For, for me, that's like a uh, trending of a lifetime tweet. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I thought you were going to say. What's interesting about Twitter is how it can be a central focus of a. U.S. presidential debate, but no one wants to buy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, maybe uh, next week they'll uh, have a. We'll, we'll follow up in our REST API one. Maybe they've got uh, been bought by then. Yeah. So go check out Joe's hot takes on Twitter. Go to poststatuscom slash club to join the club, and go to poststatuscom slash publish to check out the Poststatus Publish conference that I'm very excited about. Hopefully next time we talk, speakers will be announced, and tickets might be sold out. You never know, so you better go buy yours now. Go to dayofrest.hm for more on that, and thank you to Pagely for being our sponsor today, and we'll catch you all next time. All right, thanks. Thanks.